My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. I've got some super exciting news before we get going today. I've recently teamed up with a law firm where I live in the UAE who specializes in offshore incorporation. This is going to allow you, my amazing listeners, to get a whole host of new services. It's really tailored to those of you who are entrepreneurs and are either already living as expats or who want to one day travel and live abroad. There's some pretty amazing things we are able to do, like eliminate your tax bill, protect your assets from litigation, Regain privacy and control over your life and business. We can even set up trusts for generational wealth and a whole host of other services geared towards taking advantage of the offshore markets. Of course, these are completely legal strategies and I'm here to help navigate the whole process. I've been living overseas for 20 years and actually live this stuff every day. If you're interested in finding out more and maybe even book a complimentary consultation with my team, I want you to pause this episode right now, go to your computer and type in expatmoneyshow.com forward slash offshore. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash O-F-F-S-H-O-R-E, offshore. I really encourage you to learn more. This service could actually save you tens of thousands of dollars this year. Like I said, super, super excited about this new opportunity to help you. Just go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash offshore. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest is the owner of Voodoo Marketing. He specializes in SEO audits and strategy consulting. He is a writer for Inc.com and Entrepreneur, a former mentor from Nine Mile Labs and Microsoft Ventures, and is an advisor to multiple startups. He has been featured, quoted, interviewed, and published in various blogs and magazines such as Forbes, Business Insider, Quicksprout, Moz.com, and Millennial Marketing Blog. He is also the author of Screw the Zoo. But what I am most excited about is that he is traveling the world perpetually with his wife and son and working to implement flag theory. Please welcome to the show, Sam McRoberts. Sam, how are you doing? Doing great, Mikkel. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So Sam, why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of talk us through your story about being an entrepreneur and maybe how you've decided to move overseas and start traveling as an expat. So I think I've kind of always had the entrepreneurial bug, you know, starting as a kid, selling toys to friends, you know, gambling for quarters in school, paper route, you know, I I got bit early. And I realized, you know, once I got my first job and every job after that, I make a terrible employee. I'm much better when I can govern myself. So I've always kind of approached things with that in mind. But I realized, you know, it's easier said than done. And it took quite a few different jobs in different spaces before I built up the, the skill set and the reputation to actually go out on my own and be successful doing that. But it's a blast. Like, I couldn't imagine working for anybody else ever again. I, I love being my own boss far too much. And then traveling the world. So I've always, always wanted to travel. And as a kid, my parents took us every summer somewhere around the U.S., you know, always visiting a different state, doing something fun. But I didn't go outside the U.S., I think, until I was 16 and didn't go overseas until I was 30, 31. So, you know, now my wife and son and I travel around the world. We spend, you know, one to three months in each country that we visit. I work from my laptop wherever I can manage to find internet that's fast enough. So are you staying at Airbnbs? Are you in hotels? Are you doing the hostel scene? How is, how is that looking? Mostly Airbnbs. Sometimes just direct connecting with people that I know in countries who can help me find a place. But mostly Airbnb. Simple. It's incredible because when I started traveling 20 some odd years ago, we didn't have anything like Airbnb. It was It was youth hostels or hotels. And then 
being able to stay in an Airbnb is such a, a paradigm shift. Um, being able to see it from a local's perspective and in someone's home, I think it's so brilliant. It's amazing. I mean, I couldn't imagine staying in either a hostel or a hotel when I could rent out an entire apartment downtown in whatever city I want to visit. It, it's just there's nothing to compare. <laughs> well, and especially with your spouse and your child. I don't think maybe a youth, a youth hostel is really where you want to be anyways. Totally. Yeah, I, I don't think that would go over very well with my wife or my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. Like, when I started traveling, I was in my teens, so a youth hostel was probably okay for me because, you know, I just had my backpack on and stuff like that. But now with my wife and my daughter, my wife's kind of more used to the five-star hotels, but the Airbnbs work for us as well. So talk to me a little bit about what you guys are working on right now, Sam. So for me, I focus on three different things. Uh, primarily, bread and butter is voodoo marketing. You know, I do consulting with medium to large companies and influencers on search engine optimization. So auditing websites, figuring out what's right and wrong, what needs to be fixed to increase organic traffic, and helping people put together strategies so they know what to do going forward to dominate their space. And then secondary, I teach people how to do SEO. I have a training course, myseocourse.com. I want to help other people to learn how to do what I do. So that's my way of giving back. And then I have my book, Screw the Zoo. So talk to me a little bit about your book, because I think that's a really interesting title for a book that might not necessarily be about what someone might think it is. <laughs> First reading the title. Yes. So I picked the title because I wanted anybody who saw it to do a double take and be like, what the hell? Like, what's this book about? And my mental image, right? Like I, I view so much of the world as animals trapped in a zoo. Like somebody else has got you on display. You're making money for them. You have very little real control over your life. Maybe you're comfortable, but you're definitely not free. And then at the same time, you know, internally, we live so much in our heads, and yet we're so so little aware of all of the mental hangups and evolutionary quirks that hold us back and prevent us from really reaching our true potential. And so I, I read a ton, two or three books a week, and I wanted to condense all of these core lessons that I'd learned across hundreds of books into something that was easy to digest, you know, that at least introduced people to all of these different principles to kind of wake them up, you know, take the red pill. I love it. Because when I was looking at your book, I was viewing it on Amazon, and I thought the cover was so wild as well. Yeah, right? Like climbing out of your own head. And, and that's the thing. Like the biggest thing that holds most people back is not the world. It's not external factors. It's themselves. No, I definitely agree with that. So have you seen that traveling has really shaped these type of perspectives? You know, I think it's helped. It's very easy to get into kind of an us versus them mentality. I mean, that's kind of what's going on in the U.S. right now with all the political craziness. Like everybody's in their own little armed camp. But in reality, you know, the vast majority of people are somewhere in the middle. They're not at the edges. You know, almost everything distributes on a bell curve when it comes to humans. And so people think it's us versus them. But in reality, it's just everybody or most everybody is kind of in the same bucket. And I found that globally, right? Like I tell people, oh, you know, I'm in. Bulgaria or Romania or Costa Rica. And they're like, oh, is it terrible? Like, what's it like? And I'm like, man, it's almost as first world as like the Midwest in the US. Like high-speed internet, subways, you know, McDonald's. Like it's not that different. The only big difference is the language. Uh, some cultural quirks. But people are pretty much the same everywhere you go. They have the same core needs, the same core drivers. And it's been nice to see that validated as I travel. That I, I haven't really felt out of my comfort zone anywhere. Well, that's the thing is, I think inherently people are good. You know, you watch the mainstream media and they'll talk about all these terrible places and the war and terrorists and, you know, all these these atrocities. But when you visit these places, you see that really it's not the case at all, that people will go out of their way to help you. And often they're very curious to understand why you're visiting their country and where you come from. And it's a real cultural exchange. Exactly. I mean, I felt more safe walking around some of the cities I've been in in Europe than I did walking around downtown Seattle. Like, it, it's not, it's like, it's great. Absolutely. <laughs>
Well, like I'm, I'm from southwestern Ontario. So if we wanted to go to a rock concert or something, we would take the highway over and visit Detroit. Try walking around Detroit at, you know, 11 o'clock after a rock concert. It's not the safest place in the world, like at all. Totally. Yeah. You know, and just there's so many people out there. And as you said, like they're good people and you can see that. And the media, God, Peter Diamandis calls it the constantly negative news, right? They're leveraging the negativity bias because we're just, we're wired for that. We're wired to pay more attention to negative things than positive things. And when you make your money off cost per thousand impressions, selling eyeballs to advertisers, you use what you do, what you got, right? Absolutely. So before our interview started, you told me that you're in Bulgaria right now. Talk to me a little bit about what that's like. So as my wife and I and our son were, were going around Bulgaria, like we look at each other periodically and be like, this is like this place back home or this place back home. It, it feels a lot like somewhere in the Midwest, Utah, I would say, is a pretty, pretty good comparison for Sofia, Bulgaria, which is where we are. We've got mountains right outside the city. It's very, very green. But it, it's fantastic. Like it's a really laid back place. The cost of living is very low. Uh, we're in our 90 days outside the Schengen zone right now. So that's why we're here in Romania. But it's a great country. The people are really nice. The language is complicated, but not that bad. So you're actually picking up a little bit of the language. Yeah, I try. I try to learn at least, you know, maybe 50 to 100 words in each place I go, enough to scratch by and show that I'm not a, a dumb American. Like I, I am trying to at least get by in your country on your, on your terms. Right? 50 to 100 words. I'm impressed. That's quite good. Yeah, it's usually enough. It's enough to like ask for a table or go to the bathroom or please, thank you. I don't speak Bulgarian well, you know, whatever it is you, you learn and you kind of pick up what you need as you go around. Like it, it was different in France, the set of words I needed, different in Spain, different in Costa Rica. It's nice when it's a romance language, though. So there's at least a little overlap. Well, that's it. You know, some when you visit a Spanish speaking country or a Portuguese even, it's pretty easy to pick up the the essential words just based off of what you already know. But I would imagine that Bulgarian would be quite different. Yes, it is. Like the Cyrillic alphabet drives me crazy because the letters <laughs> look the same, but they're pronounced completely differently. <laughs> well, that's perspective. You know, that's like anything in life. It's watching ordinary people do ordinary things 100% different than you would do them back home. Yes. And how's your son doing? Is he picking up the language as well? Is he on board with all of this? little bit. He's a little more resistant to learning the other languages, but he's resistant to a lot of things. I, you know, we're pretty sure he's somewhere in the autism spectrum, ADHD. Like, so he, he likes his own little comfort zones and bubbles, and he's a little resistant to change, which has made traveling kind of challenging. But at the same time, he enjoys the adventure of finding new places he enjoys. So whether it's a park or an arcade or a trampoline funhouse, you know, whatever it is, but he, he still likes his comfort zones, which makes traveling a little challenging. I can imagine it would make it challenging. But what do they say? Growth comes at the edge of your comfort zone or something like that? Exactly. And we want him to be comfortable, you know, get to the point where he's comfortable anywhere and where he can take his comfort zones with him, right? So, like, he does his education on his iPad and his games and his shows. And so as long as he has an iPad with him, he at least has an anchor and things he's comfortable with and familiar with, that's made traveling much easier. I can't imagine having to tra travel with a child like pre-mobile devices. Oh my God, I know. My daughter's two and she's already visited 10 countries, I think. And without the iPad, oh my God, her on the flights would just be a nightmare. <laughs> you know, because we, we yes. go back and forth to China. She's been to China maybe six or seven times already now. And it's, it's a full day of travel. From Abu Dhabi, it's about seven hours to Chengdu. And then Chengdu to my wife's hometown, it is another two hours or so. Plus in between, like without mobile devices, it would just be a nightmare. And even with, right? Like that's a long stretch for a kid. Oh, absolutely. We took her to the States earlier this year, and it's 14 hours to New York from Abu Dhabi. And then from there, we went down to Orlando. I had some marketing conferences to attend to. So it was another like two and a half hours on the plane. It's like, poor little girl, you know? Oh, <laughs> she just wants to go and run around and play and stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, luckily we're in business class, so she's got a bit of room to move, but still, it's a, it's a lot. Oh, yeah. I will never do another long-haul flight that isn't business class. It's worth every penny. Oh, absolutely. People always seem to think that it's, you know, it's the cost of that time. But what it really is, is the days afterwards. If I travel, say, a 14 hours in economy class, I'm ruined for three days afterwards. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm back and forth to the States maybe 10 times, 12 times a year for conferences. 
and I'm, I might be there for three days. So if, if I've got a presentation to do or, you know, I'm at some big expensive mastermind that's cost me $5,000 for the meeting and I can't focus because I haven't slept, that's a lot more money than it's going to cost me to upgrade from economy to business. Exactly. And in a lot of cases, it's cheaper than most people would think. I mean, it's not that many multiples of a normal ticket. And a lot of times if you collect points and there's different sales and different deals, you can get it at a pretty yep. decent rate. Totally. So how long have you been in Europe for now? Four months. So we started traveling full-time in February this year. We did our first two months in Costa Rica. And then we got to Spain in April. So four months here. And then where's the path go forwards? Like where, where do you want to go next? What's so I don't know how familiar you or your listeners are with the limitations of the Schengen zone, which has actually been one of my biggest annoyances. But essentially all of the countries that are part of the Schengen zone treaty, you can spend a maximum of 90 days out of every 180 days inside any of those countries combined. And then you have to get out. And in Western Europe and most of Eastern Europe, there's really only like seven countries that are non-Schengen. And so we do 90 days in the countries that we really want to visit. And then we do 90 days out in countries that maybe aren't as high on the list, but that we have to get out to for those 90 days. So that's why we're in Bulgaria and then Romania after this. And then after that, you're going to head back into the Schengen zone and then do another 90 days. Exactly. So what's on the roster for those countries then? Oh, there's a ton we want to go to, but our next in Schengen stretch is going to be Amsterdam. Beautiful. It's a pretty wild place. Like the museums and the history and the culture are just unreal, like unbelievable. You're going to love it there. I'm very excited. It's one of the cities I've wanted to visit for a very long time. And I remember going to, I think it was called the Heineken Experience, which is like the Heineken Brewery. And they give you all these coupons for free beers. And not like I was in my teens or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, hmm, just take like all these. We ended up having a whole bunch of beer. <laughs> That's fun. awesome. So talk to me a little bit more about the education for your son. Are you doing homeschooling? Are you doing world schooling? How does that look? So it's more unschooling than homeschooling. He's very self-motivated in a lot of areas. So he's only seven and a half, almost eight, but he reads at a fourth or fifth grade level. He, he picked that up on his own. It's not something that we taught him. Same thing for shapes. We're pushing him a little on math and spelling, which are things that he's resistant to. But like no real formal curriculum. We just, we try and encourage him to find things that he's interested in. And then if there are deficits that are holding him back in an area he's interested in, we'll try and beef those up. But the vast majority of time you spend learning in school is on stuff that's mostly pointless. And we try and sub in things that we think matter more like philosophy, psychology, meditation, that sort of stuff. I think the concept of unschooling is absolutely brilliant. For my listeners who might not know or understand the term, can you kind of break it down for me a little bit, Sam? Yeah, so homeschooling, you're essentially following the same curriculum you would in a normal school at home. But unschooling, you're trying to create an education that is very tailored to the individual child. And sometimes that means excluding things that maybe countries don't really want excluded, like history or physical education in the traditional sense and focusing more on things that the kid is interested in. So like we don't have my son enrolled in any group sports, but he really likes doing solo stuff like rock climbing or parkour. So we try and find classes where he can learn that as we go. He's really good at math and reading, really struggles with writing. So we try and find fun ways to get him to do the things that he struggles with. So like writing, he really likes designing things, creating plans. So we help to encourage him with ideas and fill in the gaps. But essentially, it's figuring out what a kid's strengths are and trying to beef up the strengths as opposed to shoring up all the weaknesses, which is usually less effective. From my understanding from unschooling, one of the biggest gifts that you can give your child is to really keep them out of those institutional learning places because there's so many bad habits and things that don't really help you move forward that are in these types of curriculums. Totally, right? Like where where in the real world, you know, when you're trying to make money and get by, are you just memorizing lists of things and regurgitating them? Like never. Yeah. The vast majority of the stuff you pick up just isn't applicable and you have to basically start from scratch once you get into the workforce or try and start a business and learn a whole different set of skills. So why not teach those skills early and bypass the stuff that's going to get ignored anyway? Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And these concepts of rote learning and how this is done, and like you said, just memorizing facts, it's really not applicable to today's day and age. You know, with computers, with Wikipedia, with Google searches, just memorizing facts and figures 
it's probably not going to be the best use of your time or a child's time. Totally. Right. I mean, if everything comes to pass that a lot of the techno futurists are saying, right, AI is going to wipe out a bunch of jobs, robots, automation, you know, the, the things that can easily be looked up on Google or recited by row, like that's going to be worthless knowledge. Everybody's going to have instant access to it. The things that are actually going to matter are going to be on the creative side or the human interaction side. So understanding art or design or psychology or philosophy, like that's going to actually be useful. I agree with you. And going back to languages, I think being able to communicate with a broader amount of people, that's why I study Chinese. That's why my daughter speaks Chinese actually as a first language. I think the gap between English and Chinese is going to be huge. And, and those who can make that gap are going to have huge advantages. Agreed. Yeah, language is a fascinating thing. You never really think about how far-reaching it is growing up, but essentially your language defines your headspace. All of the terms you apply to things, the way you think, like it's all in your language. But once you learn another language, especially one that has many, many different words that are not analogous to your own, right? Like Japanese. The Japanese have words for so many things, so many nuanced variations that we just don't have in English. And that's amazing because it gives you an entirely different tool set you can use to think. Definitely. When I learned Spanish, you would want to learn a certain phrase. I don't remember exactly the words for it, but basically it was that if something fell off the table, it wasn't you who knocked it off the table. It fell off the table on its own. So it had like this type of mysticism where, you know, things just kind of happened in, in Spanish and that's how your brain starts to work and that's how it starts to get written. And in English, we kind of take everything responsibility, like this is your fault, you did this. So these types of small shifts are really interesting. Yeah, language is, is amazing. And I'm looking forward to technology's help in that realm as well, right? Like the, I don't know if you've heard of the pilot, I think it's called pilot. They're little earpieces that will instantly translate what you're saying and what somebody else is saying. Like you give them one earpiece, you have one in, and you just speak in your language and translates it back and forth. So that's kind of cool but you lose the benefit of actually picking up the other language. I've seen those on some ads. I didn't know if they were actually real or not. I thought maybe they were <laughs> like out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or something. Yeah, they, they are real. I mean, I don't think they're very good yet. Machine translation of languages is still very, very spotty. It's nothing like native, but it's enough to scrape by, which opens up more options. But really, you know, if you really want to improve your headspace and think in different ways, you have to actually learn the language. Absolutely. But the interesting thing about technology and specifically about what we're talking about is that it's okay that it sucks right now. So many technologies that we use at the beginning, they were absolutely horrible. Like look at that old story by Kodak. When they first brought in digital cameras, Kodak was actually one of the pioneers in the industry. And they had to like wheel this giant machine into the room. And, you know, it worked, but it was pretty terrible. And Kodak went, you know what? This is never going to happen. We're just going to double down on film. And what, a dozen years later, they go bankrupt. And now everybody has a camera that's a thousand times better in their back pocket. Right. And it wasn't just that, but they were also terrified of cannibalizing their existing business. They didn't want to, you know, put their their photo developing uh, outlets out of business or decrease sales of film. Like, there was a whole bunch of stuff to that. And, you know, not being sufficiently forward thinking, oh, it's not good enough, oh, it's going to hurt our existing business, like that's, you know, if you don't, if you're not iterating and putting yourself out of business, somebody else is going to. Correct, correct. I use a translation service called Rev.com, and that's a actual human on the other side transcribing some of my audio files. But they actually went out and developed a machine learning version of that to do it themselves, and it's a fraction of the cost. And you would think, well, that's going to cannibalize your own business. But they know that someone is going to do it, so they might as well start investing in the technology today so that when it comes forwards, they're the premiers in this industry. Well, see, and at the same time, they're capturing two very different pies, right? You know, a company that needs to translate text on a million different pages, like they're not going to be able to afford to have a human do it. It's going to have to be a machine. But there's a different set who, you know, maybe they only have a couple of pages or a few key pieces of content that has to be translated perfectly into another language, just like a native. And so now they're catching two different markets instead of just one while also protecting themselves. It's very smart. It's brilliant, actually. So... 
going back to the learning and the education with your son, is the unschooling something that you've always taught him or was he in traditional schools and you guys kind of pulled him out? No. So he did one year in a STEM focused preschool, but that's been his only exposure. We knew before we even had a kid that we wanted to do at least homeschool, if not unschool. For us, we always tell people that we want to do homeschooling, but really we say that because most people don't even know what the concept of world schooling or unschooling is. So it's much easier to explain to people just homeschooling. And it's so interesting because like, say 15, 20 years ago, long before I even had a child and I was telling people, oh, I want to homeschool my child. I want to homeschool my child. They would look at me like I had a third eye. Like I was absolutely crazy. But now when I tell people, they just kind of nod their head and they're like, yeah, that's better. And I'm like, you're right. You're, you know what? You are right. It's, that is better. And people have really caught on to these types of concepts. Yes. Like, I'll give you an example. So we started teaching my son about business when he was four and a half. Like, he wanted to buy some toys, and we didn't want to buy them for him. So we told him he had to earn the money himself. He's like, well, what do I do? I was like, tell you what. Here's probably, like, the easiest thing you could do. It was summertime. I was like, I will buy a set of things for you to sell. Sell snacks, drinks, whatever, out of your wagon. You pull it around, and you sell it to people at the park when it's really hot. You pay me back for the cost of the stuff, and you can keep the profit. So he's like, all right. So, you know, we, we funded his little startup, but he had to cover all of the costs himself from his proceeds. Within the first couple of days, he was consistently making 20 or $25 an hour as a four-year-old with <laughs> no help from us, just toting his wagon around the park with a sign selling to people. So he learned how to walk up to strangers, engage them, pitch them, sell something, count money, and he's making more money than a lot of recent college graduates do out of the gate. So tell me that unschooling is somehow worse than normal schooling. <laughs> and these are concepts you're teaching him at four, five, six years old. So imagine when he's a full-fledged adult and he's able to go out there, the advantages that he's going to have over his peers. Like, my God, I look at some of these college kids, they can't even cook themselves dinner, like let alone go out to the workforce and make a living. Right? Yeah. And he, I mean, he views everything from that lens now. Be like, all right, I need some money. What can I do here to make some money? Like, it's great. And I think another thing that's really brilliant that you just mentioned is that he learns how to walk up to strangers. Now, in traditional North American society, we're always taught never talk to strangers. And I think that this is a terrible thing to teach a child. You're teaching them right from day one to be afraid. And once again, back to my earlier point, inherently people are good people want yes. to you know the, people are not out there to steal your children and to hurt you and to be terrorists and blow things up like it's good that your son learns how to talk to strangers yes and you know people are good right so in seattle we live downtown my son rides his little scooter everywhere and he's always zipping along so he's usually half a block or a block ahead of us and i can't tell you the number of times somebody would like stop him you know where are your parents are you okay you know we're a little bit back we wave like he's ours we're here but you know like i'm not i'm not worried about him and he's always been outgoing that way he's never had a problem walking up to somebody and talking to them he always makes friends at the playground, you know, the, the phrases he's always willing to learn when we go to a new country is, hey, do you speak English in whatever language it is so he can make a friend? Yeah, mine is, can I get a beer, please? <laughs> no, <laughs> nice. I, think, I think that's awesome. These types of things that you can teach a child today, I think these are the really the core things that are going to shape them as adults. You know, being able to teach themselves, being able to communicate with others, being able to solve problems. I think these are the key things, not trigonometry, not, you know, this rote memorization of facts and figures. Yes. And it's a lot easier to learn something when you're interested in it or passionate about it. So shoving all of these different things down someone's throat and hoping that some of it will, will stick is silly. But waiting until somebody has a question that can only be answered by providing that information, that's a beautiful way to teach. So when he asks a question about, well, why does this work? How does this function? And you can explain the physics or the math behind it. That's the right way to teach something. But you need an interest first. I think that's brilliant. So with the schooling, and I, I know you said you don't do a curriculum, but when you're traveling through these countries, do you do history and then do like local history from where you are at that moment? A little bit. He's not really interested very much in history yet. And I think eventually he will be, and we'll dig into it more then. But for now, you know, 
there are a lot of interesting lessons to be learned from history that can be taught in different ways. So we try and focus on lessons like Bulgaria. A lot of the buildings are the rundown on the outside. They're nice on the inside, but the outsides are not super well maintained. And he, you know, well, why is that? Well, communism. Well, this used to be a communist controlled country. And, you know, that's why some things are pretty stark and, and dated. And so, well, what's communism? So it's an opportunity to like teach some lessons, but without having to dig deep into history. Interesting, interesting. Because I always had this concept in my head of studying a place, learning like a bit about the culture, a bit about the language, a bit about the food, a bit about the history, and then making a trip there and then seeing it with her own eyes. So still teaching my daughter these types of things, but specialize only in that country for several months and then make a big family trip there. Because we're still trying to figure it out as well. Like I said, my daughter is only two. So we haven't had a chance to put a lot of these types of things in practice. So it's really interesting for me to kind of hear your opinion and what's working for you and what your son is into. Yeah. And my son, like, you know, he's different or maybe he's not. He's, he's like any other kid. He has things he's interested in, things he's not. And we try and gauge at different times, you know, all right, can we introduce this? Will it take? Cause I don't want to spend a bunch of time and effort on a vein that I know he's just going to tune out and ignore. So I think that's that with him and history at the moment with some exceptions, you know, if it's like warfare or construction related, he's into it, but not so much politics and, you know, geopolitical things. Well, I think even a lot of adults are not into these things or don't understand <laughs> the concepts. So at eight years old, he's probably ahead of most already. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, like some things he just blows my mind. It's like, man, I never would have even thought that way at your age. So good for you. That's excellent. So talk to me a little bit about the social aspect. How has he been for making friends, for interacting with other people? Yes. So being a little bit like autism spectrum, ADHD, he's always, he's very good at being outgoing, but he's also very dominant. So making friends has been a challenge for him, but he's, he's learning. And we've been working a lot on, all right, you know, start by just being nice and asking what somebody else wants to do or like find some common ground that you can build off of. What games do you like? Oh, okay. I like that game. Let's do that game. And so still working at that. He's pretty good at this point. You know, he'll go to a park, he'll find some kids who look around his age. He'll see if he can communicate with them. And if he can, they'll come up with something. So he's much better at that now. That's always kind of been his social interaction. Like we take him to a park or a place with kids every day. He spends at least, you know, anywhere from an hour to three hours a day doing that which is probably about the same amount of interaction he'd get with a kid if he was in school, you know, because most of the time is in class listening to the teacher, right? You have recess, you have lunch, you have before and after. So I feel like he gets about the same amount of, you know, kid to kid interaction that he would in school, just in a different environment. And have you found any other families who are kind of taking the same type of path while you've been traveling? No, actually, we've run into quite a few families from the US and Canada, UK, Australia, who are just traveling temporarily, but we have yet to encounter anybody who's doing it full-time like us. But we haven't looked super hard either. Yeah, fair enough. We're on the introverted side. I reckon there's got to be websites out there. And, and maybe if my listeners know any really good ones, you can send us an email or maybe make a comment on the Facebook page for interacting with other homeschooling or unschooling families that are traveling the world. Yeah, that'd be cool. So talk to me a little bit about the challenges that you guys have had while being on the road, maybe while running your business or having your family with you. So, I mean, there's the standard, right? Like getting good, reliable internet has been difficult in some places. In some places, it really shouldn't have been. Like the Airbnb we stayed at in Paris, the internet was atrocious. I, I could barely manage a Skype call. So that was frustrating. I would say at the same time, like, you know, the thing I dislike most about traveling is the process of getting from place to place. Like, I love being in new places, but having to lug all the luggage, because we have way more luggage than we should having to tote around a kid, is annoying. So if there were easier ways to get from place to place, less stressful, that'd be great. So what do you do now? You rent a car, you take public transportation, you take Ubers. How does that work? So if it's a long stretch, we'll do a flight. If it's a relatively short stretch, we'll do a train. Like trains are so much more laid back. We love traveling by train. We're going to try a car. We're renting, we've got a van that's going to take us from Bulgaria to Romania. So we're going to see how we like that. But yeah, I mean, you know, the pros and cons to each different travel method, depending on the, the length and your goals. I, I definitely find trains to be the least stressful for me. 
I love train trips. I did a big one through China and North Korea, like a 24-hour one. And it's just so relaxing and just being able to look out the window and have lots of room to move around. You're not stuck in a tiny little seat. You know, usually you've got a big sleeper car and, oh, it's brilliant. Yes, and you got food on demand. You can go down and order something whenever you're hungry. Yeah, it's great. Well, and then that goes back to my point of business class. The main thing for me is if I want to sleep, I want to lay down. I'm not one of these people who can just sleep in a chair and and that's okay. <laughs> I need a bed. So trains, they, they tick that box. Right, like airplanes, I swear the seats just keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Like there's no way to sleep in economy unless you can do it like bent into a weird angle with your neck cricked. I, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, my wife could sleep standing up. She has no problem with this stuff. I need like everything perfect for me to fall asleep. I don't know what it is. Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to take a quick break. If you're sick of paying taxes and of forking over your hard-earned income to the government for them to spend your money in ways you don't agree with, and you want to protect your business and your assets and your wealth, and you want to regain some privacy and control over your business and your life, I encourage you to check out the new services I am offering at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash offshore. You can request more information by email or even a complimentary consultation call with a member of my team who can help you set up a strategy based on your exact needs. Just visit expatmoneyshow.com forward slash offshore. So when I was doing my research, the words flag theory came up. So talk to me in your words, what is flag theory and and kind of what you are trying to implement in your life? So flag theory is essentially the concept of distributing your physical residency, tax residency, business location, your like travel locations, all of these things, putting them in different places instead of one. So the vast majority of people, right, they're born in their country, they're a, res- a resident or citizen there, they pay their taxes there, their business, if they have one, is there, their employer's there, whatever. They're all in one place, one bucket. And so you're subject to a very specific set of laws and there's not much wiggle room. But with flag theory, you can move different pieces in different places and avoid some of those hassles. Like uh, the biggest thing being taxes. Like if I'm not going to live in the U.S. and I'm not working in the U.S., why should I be paying taxes in the U.S.? Which is what's required. U.S. citizens are taxed on their income globally no matter where you are or no matter how long you're outside the country. As long as you hold a U.S. passport, you have to pay U.S. taxes. And there are some minor exceptions, but for the most part, that's it. But if you set things up differently and say have your business in Belize and become a resident in the Seychelles and have your banking in Singapore and spread these things out to different places, all of a sudden you can legally bypass all sorts of taxes and regulations that you couldn't if you were just in one place. And so which ones of these strategies are you really focused on right now implementing in your life? So my my business is an offshore corporation. I mean, we do not we're not US residents at the moment. We're looking one of the reasons we're traveling around Europe is we're trying to find an alternate location, a place we'd rather live than the US. And so we're exploring our list of top places that we think, hey, you know, we might like being here long term and looking into options. Because like a lot of places, you know, you could get a home in say Spain. And as long as you spend less, like just under six months a year there, you're you're a resident, but you don't have to pay any taxes there. And then you don't pay any taxes in most countries on income that's earned offshore. So if I have my company set up in Belize as a corporation and I work for it wherever I happen to be traveling, it's always foreign earned income and I don't have to pay anything on it. Uh, and then the U.S., right? Like the U.S. has something called the foreign earned income exclusion. So as long as you're outside the U.S. for at least 330 days out of the year and your income is being earned wherever you happen to be, you don't pay taxes on your first $100,000 per person. So 200 and change for a couple, which is awesome. So there, there are ways to like scoot around all of these things, again, legally. And so I'm, I'm trying to set up all of them. <laughs> That's awesome. The whole concept of flag theory, I find it so fascinating. I'm moving more and more in this direction. I'm already helping people now to set up some of these offshore companies. I've partnered with a law firm and we're doing the work together. And 
I think that there's just huge benefits for taking full control of your business and your life and, and your education of your children, all these things that we've been talking about on this episode. Totally. And I mean, the tax thing aside, right, there's also all sorts of personal and business protections. Like, it's a hell of a lot harder to sue or go after a company that's registered offshore in some little jurisdiction that's favorable to the businesses and not people elsewhere. You know, or if you... I don't know, somebody gets injured on your property, wherever that happens to be, but the property is owned by an offshore company. Like there, there are all of these things you can put in place that really you never learn about until you have some money. And then you start digging into things like asset protection and how do I insulate myself from lawsuits, creditors, crazy people, taxes. Like there's a lot of ways to do all of those things, but nobody teaches you. You have to go out and actually hunt down the info. Absolutely. And the really interesting thing is, I think that in a lot of people's minds, they think that these types of structures are actually only reserved for millionaires or multimillionaires. But actually, if you have just a average income, there's a lot of things that you can put into place today that will really help you and benefit you in the future. Totally. Like it costs maybe 500 bucks a year to have an offshore corporation. And depending on where you set up your bank account, it may not cost you anything. The minimum deposits in some places are tiny, right? You can get a bank in Singapore for a deposit of 5,000 bucks. You don't need to be super rich and you can gain benefits like now, right? If you're going to, if you're going to have a house, you should probably never have that house in your name. You should have it held by a trust. If you're going to have life insurance, same thing. It should probably be held by a trust, not directly in your name. And just little simple things. You don't have to be rich, but you can gain some pretty big benefits. from. One of the flags that really interests me at the moment is second citizenship and second passport, I should say. Have you guys started looking into this at all for yourselves? A ton. So there are a lot of different ways to do that, whether it's temporary to permanent resident citizen or looking at one of the golden visa programs, golden passports. There's not really any cheap options if you just want to buy access to another country. I mean, I think one of the cheapest is probably the St. Kitts and Nevis. I think they've closed it down now, but just recently, if you donated $125,000 to their hurricane relief fund, they would grant citizenship to you and your family. So that was the cheapest that I'm aware of. And I think they closed that one. It's now 250000 and up to get citizenship there. And it ranges in different countries. There's different ways in different countries to do that. So like in Spain, I think if you set up a business that employs 10 people or buy a home that's at least 500,000 euros, you can instantly get residency. And then if you have residency for five years, you can become a citizen. Different ways, different countries, but most of them are expensive. And so we want to try a lot of different countries before we lean towards any specific thing. Yeah, and then with the ones that you actually have to spend the time in, that'll be more the naturalization. And it's that five years, 10 years. But look, at I've been in Abu Dhabi for seven years here, and I could be here a million years and I would never get citizenship. If I had thought a little bit ahead before I moved here, perhaps I would have chose somewhere that would have eventually led to citizenship. Yes. And there are some that are relatively, they're easy in terms of the requirements. I want to say Portugal only requires that you spend like a week or two each year in the country when you're a resident to count towards getting citizenship down the road. And then some are really hard. They have ridiculous tests that are basically impossible to pass for somebody not born and raised there. Yeah, I was looking into Cambodia because I just love Southeast Asia. And it was something like 10 years and you need to speak fluent Cambodian. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to make that type of commitment. Yes. And there are exceptions in some places, right? So like Germany has their entrepreneur visa. So, or their freelancer visa, right? If you you work freelance for yourself and you can show you have at least enough money to maintain yourself in the country, like you can get a visa to stay in Germany for, I think it's a year at a time. But everywhere, you know, unless you have like a million dollars or more to just plunk down, it's very difficult to just buy citizenship directly or get it without those waiting periods. And how does your wife feel about all this type of stuff, getting into all these offshore markets and this flag theory stuff? She's game. I mean, she's she's about as much of a fan of the U.S. and how things are going as I am right now, which is not very much. I think that things things in a lot of Western countries are starting to become unstable for a variety of reasons, and I don't really want to be tied down to any one place, and neither does she. She really likes the idea of traveling around and exploring a lot of different cities and countries to see if there's somewhere better, right? Like we don't, we don't have the experience to say this place is better than that place. We need to actually go and spend a month or two or three in these places to really get a feel for it and say, hey, you know, I could actually live here. Well, one of my core messages 
is that just because you're born in one country, it doesn't mean you need to spend the rest of your life there. And it certainly doesn't mean that you need to put all your money there. Like there are options. The world is a really, really big place. There's a lot of places to explore. So good for you guys, good for you, for you guys really going out there and taking a look with your own eyes and seeing where you want to live, where you want to have a home, where you want to bank, where you want to do your business. I think it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we, we love it. Like I couldn't imagine going back. Like I took the red pill. I'm, I'm going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> I'm exploring the options and it, yeah, it's mind blowing just how much there is out there. That there's no, like I keep, I keep falling back to this, but like nobody teaches you and it makes sense, right? Like, you know, what are my thoughts on formal education, which is kind of why I unschool my kid. It, it, it kind of boils down to that, like education, traditional education, it's there for a very specific purpose, which is to keep the economic machine running. You need people going into debt and consuming and producing in order for that machine to keep ticking. So very few people can, you know, not play along. If they, if too many people don't play along and follow the rules, the machine stops to work. So I'm glad that I figured out that I don't have to be a cog in that machine and that there's other options, but I realized that you know, everything would go to shit if everybody did that. Definitely. And I think that more and more people are raising their children with this type of mentality and this mindset. And we're going to see a huge shift in the next 10 to 15 to even 20 years with the direction of where we're going as a species. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I wish I wish it was easier for us as a species to realize like we're all humans we all share the vast majority of our genetic code. We're way more alike than we are different. And we have just this one little planet and we need to kind of band together and realize that we're not all these different groups, but one cohesive whole and fix things. But like, there's just, we have so many biological limitations, particularly with the brain that make it really difficult to do that. Well, the more and more I learn and read about anarchist views, about libertarian views, you know, these non-aggression and, you know, basically that as long as you're not harming or hurting anyone else, you should really have the right to do anything you want in your, in your life. If you don't want to send your child to school, you have that right. You know, if you don't want to live in a country or pay taxes in a country that you're not even in, you should have that right. There's no reason that, you know, you're in Bulgaria right now. You're not using the roads or the police or the fire department or any of these things. Why would you pay taxes in the United States? It just, it, it just makes, makes no, no, sense. no sense. Like it, it's, it's fundamentally like it's like, I don't understand at all how someone could think that that's reasonable. Yep. It drives me nuts. And I agree. Like there's a lot of things that, that just, they, they need to be different. And I get, I get why they aren't, but they should be. Well, this idea of, you know, freedom and the freest country in the world. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the United States. I'm I'm there, like I said, a dozen times a year. There's incredible things there. But there's a lot of free countries in the world. And for me, you know, if you don't pay your taxes, then you go to jail. That doesn't sound like freedom at all. Like if, if someone puts their hand out and they want your money and you don't want to give it to them, like, why should you get locked up for that? That's, that's not freedom. Yeah, and especially if there's no exchange of value. It's just like, hey, you were born here, so cough up. <laughs> That's no different than being like shaken down at the corner store by your local mafia. It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I'm, and I'm glad that there are ways around that that are, are legal, even if people, some people find it really distasteful. Oh, you're traveling the world, you're not paying taxes? Man, screw you. Like, well, you know, you're obviously ill-informed, but really, like, it's not... It, as you said, it makes no sense. I'm not there. I don't live there. I'm not taking advantage of any of the benefits there. Why should I be paying taxes there? Yeah, I understand, you know, if you're using the road systems and things like this, you're part of the culture, you're part of the community, putting something in to help out. Now, whether that's, you know, what percentage, I, I don't know. I could, I, I, argue it's a lot smaller than it is right now but also using that money to go and build walls or to invade countries or drop bombs on villages like i'm not okay with that like i, I don't want my money and my effort and my energy being spent on activities like that and that's one of the reasons that i'm doing this like i i did not like where my tax dollars were being spent i don't feel good about it i don't want to contribute to that i want to have a say in where those go and how they're used and i mean all big governments to one degree or another become incredibly inefficient it's just the way things are it could be different but not yet 
I think down the road, I don't think it'll be that far down the road. I think, you know, the concepts of what's possible and how things have to be are unraveling, coming more open very quickly. I think my son's generation is going to have a very, very different world. Hopefully it won't be one that's, you know, 120 degrees all over the planet's surface, but I think things will change very much with the next generation. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. But I think that's one of the advantages for being an entrepreneur, that you can really make these choices for yourself, that you're able to provide income for yourself and for your family while living abroad, while traveling as an expat, because you have your own business. Yes, and I mean, and that's something that's it's really not that hard. Once you crawl out of the narrow, like traditional mindset, go to school, get a job, work there for 40 years and retire. Once you realize that there's other options and that you can... You know, people will pay you many, many multiples of what you could make working for somebody else if you specialize in an area of value. Like it's not, it's not that hard. I mean, anybody could learn to do what I do in a matter of months. Uh, it'd take longer to get as good at it as I am, but still, like you could get your foot in the door and start earning way more than you're going to earn with your basic job with just a few months of effort. Well, they say like if you read a certain amount of hours a day after you know a year or two years, that's like doing a college degree. So you can actually do these things on your own without having to go to these formalized schools to provide the education for you. You know, a couple of dollars late fee at the library, you know, or some printed out papers from the internet, and actually you can learn these things yourself. Oh, totally. And, and a lot of the most lucrative places and spaces, like you can't learn those in school. And I'd actually argue that that's one of the best ways to pick a, a niche that you want to work in. Like, what is in demand that I can't take a class on in college? Like, and that's one of the reasons that I do what I do, right? Search engine optimization, like, it's really hard to find a, a course in school that will teach you how to do that. You're certainly not going to get a degree in it. It's something you have to go out and learn, read podcasts or listen to podcasts, read blog posts, find books, trial and error, right? Like that's how you go about learning it still. And that's part of why it's in such high demand because there are so few people who understand it and know how to do it. Well, I had Stefan Spencer on the show to talk about SEO once. And, you know, all my questions were basically like, like for me, SEO just seems like magic, like, like I, I, I don't understand it. You know, I've now taken a dozen courses on it and, and read a lot about it, so I'm a lot more well-informed now. But it's amazing that something that is so important for commerce and for a complete economy, like the online economy, it's not taught in school. Like, Right? That's, that's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's because it, it, it's a space where there aren't so many hard and fast rules as much as there's a very large mountain of conjecture and guesstimates. I would assume that's why. But really, I mean, SEO is not that complex, right? People go to search engines essentially to ask questions. Where is this thing? What is the best thing? How do I find this? You know, how do you do this? They're, just, they're asking Google questions. And Google is in the business of providing the best possible answer for that person based on context. And all SEO is, is understanding those two sides and making sure that the thing in the middle, the answer to the question, is optimized to effectively answer the question better than anybody else does. That's it. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> I really wish it was. Uh, I mean, it's simple, but not easy. Well, you actually provide some courses for people who want to learn about SEO. Yeah, so myseocourse.com, right? I put together what I wish I had had in the early days because I had to learn it the hard way, like building websites, trial and error, reading books, combing through blog posts, trying to sift out all of the, the fact and the fiction. And so uh, you know, I built a course that I, I think simplifies learning SEO down to its basic, basic principles. Eight hours long has everything that you need to know to build a solid foundation and you could take it from there and dig deep. Yeah, I actually had one of my writers take the first couple of courses of yours. I think that's actually how we got connected in the first place was they were taking some of your courses and they thought the the content and the the concept I or sorry the the difficult concepts you were able to put into easily understood lessons. They really enjoyed this and then when they saw that you were traveling it was had to get connected. Oh, that's awesome. So Sam, thank you so much for your time. If my listeners, they want to get a hold of you, if they want to learn more about your courses and what you do, where can we send them? So I'm most responsive on Twitter, Sam's underscore antics on Twitter. 
or just Google my name, Sam McRoberts. I'm pretty sure everything on the first couple of pages is me. I'm pretty easy to find and get in contact with. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and we'll chat soon. Okay, Sam? Thanks, Mikkel. Appreciate you having me on. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. My friends over at serenitynewsletter.com have a special opportunity open to those interested in learning advanced investing techniques in the crypto space. This membership is of the highest quality and is run by a dear friend of mine who happens to manage one of the most successful crypto hedge funds in the world. Crypto is the future, and those who make smart plays now have an opportunity to earn life-changing returns. Go to serenitynewsletter.com to watch a special video presentation now. That's serenitynewsletter.com.